Well, I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we turn to God's Word today, 2 Corinthians 5. And uh, just as a reminder, we will be receiving communion at the end of the message today. Uh, We've been in a series entitled God Is this year, asking the question, who is God? A.W. Tozer uh, said this, he said, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important part of who we are. It's the most important part of who we are. That what we think about God will determine every other aspect of our lives. Every dimension of who we are and how we live our lives uh, really comes from who we know God to be and who we believe Him to be. And so it's so important for us to ask that question, who is God? And then to lean in, to press in, and to find the answers to that, those, to that question in His Word. We've also been asking this question over the last few weeks, what is the church? In light of who God is, what is His church? And who are we as His church called to be? I think you would agree with me uh, over the past couple of weeks, uh, as we've watched our nation really wrestle with and struggle with issue of racism, and the divides, the deep divides in our nation. It's so important in a season, in a time like this, that that we as the church understand who we are and what God has called us to be as His church. And that's what I'd like to speak to this morning. If you recall, I've shared this, that, that God is in His temple, and His temple is no longer a building located in Jerusalem that his temple is now the person of Jesus Christ, where his spirit dwells. His temple is the church, the people of God, where his spirit dwells. And his temple is you and me, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that we are called to be the physical representation of God in the earth. We're supposed to be the physical representation of his presence in the world that we live in. And Last week, I talked about the fact that Jesus gave us a mission in Matthew 28 to go to all the world. He also gave us a promise in Acts 1.8 that he would give us power uh, to do the mission that he had called us to and that he would send us to the ends of the earth. We see in Acts 2 the, the presence and the power of God as the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples in the upper room. And they start ministering out of that power and the church in that moment in Pentecost is birthed and starts to minister with Peter getting up and preaching to the crowd with 3,000 people giving their lives to Jesus. And we finished last week by looking at Acts chapter 2. The result of all of this was that the church came together, people of diverse backgrounds, different nationalities, different cultures, different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds came together. And Acts 2 tells us that they had everything in common and that they were together. There was a unity that existed in that place. The cry of my heart, and I know the cry of, of yours and so many others, is that we would rediscover that unity not just for ourselves, but for our nation and for the world in which we live. You see, what happened in Acts 2 
was a response to the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit moving in their lives. It's, it's, it's a matter of, of days and weeks from them being separated and the Spirit of God coming upon them to them finding them place in this, in this place of unity and togetherness. Now, if you continue reading through the book of Acts, you'll find that it doesn't take long before issues start coming into the church. The things of the world start making their way in, and we start finding pretty quickly that there are divisions, and there are struggles, and there are uh, problems that arise, Jew and, and Gentile, male and female. There's all kinds of things that get stirred up. And, and from that time till now, what we have fought against as a church is a spirit that would want to bring division in any way that it can. Paul says in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. In the book of Galatians, he says that there are elemental forces that are at work in this world. And so we wage war as the church against those things. We bring the fight to the enemy, to the spiritual forces of darkness. I want to turn today to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start reading in verse 14. This is a passage here where Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And he's talking about uh, in the preceding verses uh, and, and chapters, he's, he's talking about us being citizens of heaven. The fact that when we come to Jesus and we give our lives to him, that we now have an allegiance to his kingdom over any allegiance and any citizenship we have in this world, that we are a part of the kingdom of God. And, and out of that, he now writes these words, starting in verse 14. So 2 Corinthians 5, 14, Paul writes, For Christ, Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died for them and was raised again. Verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is, is in Christ... The new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Title of my message today is this, God is the reconciler. He is the reconciler. So as I mentioned, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, but he's writing to us as well, that, that scripture is timeless and we can listen to these words and apply them to our lives. So once again, he's pointing out that, that the believers are no longer citizens of this world. They're citizens of heaven, as are you and I. When we put our faith in Jesus, that we become a, a part of his kingdom. We become heirs to his kingdom. 
and that we become a part of something that is eternal. It's not temporal. It's not limited to this world. And he talks about the tension in the preceding verses. He talks about the tension of, of being in this world and also being in Christ that we are hidden in Christ, that we find our identity in him. Yet there's the things of this world that still pull and tug at our hearts and minds. In fact, it's here that Paul says that it would be just better to be with him in heaven. But God has a purpose for us while we are here on earth. And he says this in verse 18, uh, a preceding verse. He says, while we are in the world, we have to keep our eyes fixed on him. As we walk through this life, as we address and, and, and focus on and see the things that are happening in the world around us, the place that we have to come back to always is that we turn our eyes to Jesus. And out of this, then, Paul writes, Christ's love compels us. That the love of Jesus compels us toward something. That it moves us towards something. Well, what is that? Why? Why does Christ's love compel us? Paul tells us this. He says, because Jesus died for everyone. He died for all. He died once for all. Everyone is included. Everyone, not just some, not just people that, that, that we prefer or we favor. Jesus doesn't play favorites. That Jesus died for all. He died for every person. And so every person is welcome in his kingdom. And so Paul writes this, in light of this statement, he says, so we from now on regard no one from a worldly point of view. I think this verse, this line is so key for us, again, especially in the world that we're living in right now. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. I don't know about you, but I've found it difficult to really separate when I am considering or regarding people from a worldly point of view or from a kingdom point of view. And the cry of my heart is that God would expose that. He would reveal it. See, we, we all have a worldview, a lens through which we look at the world, and that worldview has been shaped by the environment that we've grown up in, the people that we've been around, the, 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 the norms, the things that have just been a part of our lives, our education, the books that we've read, the churches that we've attended. And, and the problem with that is that, that we don't tend to see outside of that worldview. We just see what we see. But what Paul is telling the church in Corinth here and what he's telling us, what Jesus is telling us is that we have to shed the worldly point of view, the worldview that we inherit. It's part of the reason we're in this series asking who is God, because so much of what we learn about who God is, is given to us, not learned just even in our own study and our own pursuit of who God is. And, and so we believe things that might not be true. We believe things that could be a lie. And so we have to stop and say, is this a worldly point of view? Paul says, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. This is really, really important for us. See, a worldly point of view makes assumptions. It makes assumptions about the people in our lives. 
One of those amongst many assumptions is this. One of the assumptions of the world in a worldly point of view would be this, that the color of your skin determines your value, that the color of your skin determines how trustworthy you are, that the color of your skin determines what, how safe you are as a person, that the color of your skin determines your intelligence, and that the color of your skin would determine the opportunities afforded you. This is a worldly point of view. And this is exactly why we find ourselves in the state that we're in. That we, even as the church, have allowed the, the way of the world, the world's perspective, to invade, invade our hearts and minds. And we have to come back to God and say, God, strip that away and allow us to see with your kingdom perspective. I want to I make this statement as clear as I can. Racism is evil. Racism is a lie from the pit of hell, and it has no place in the kingdom of God. In fact, racism is contrary to the heart of God. It is contrary. And not only that, racism is an offense to the very likeness of God. The Bible tells us that we male and female have been created in the image of God. And that racism and the act of racism and the, and, and the thoughts behind racism are an offense to the very likeness of God. There is no room in the kingdom of God for racism. Over the past two weeks, we have heard the cry of the black community. We've heard the cry of a community longing to be heard. And we, and I'll speak directly to my white brothers and sisters, to the white community, but this extends beyond that. We are not good at listening. I am not good at listening. See, because it's so easy to get distracted by the politics. It's easy to even get distracted by the events surrounding the protests when, when things devolve into riots and looting and the acts of a few. It's easy to get distracted even looking at the past of an individual like George Floyd and, and write him off because m maybe there were some issues in his past, which in his case there were but it makes him no less a man made in the image of God. We have to make sure we don't get distracted by those things and that we understand that there is a problem in our nation and in our, in our world, and that problem is called racism, and it is alive and well, and that the spirit that undergirds it is seeking to destroy the world that we live in. You see, we can't get distracted. We can't get distracted from what the real issue is. We're called to be reconcilers along with the Lord. And I want to speak to that in a minute. The invitation of the Lord is to search our own hearts, to ask this of ourselves. Do I regard people through a worldly perspective or do I see them the way that God sees them? 
Paul says, because of who Christ is and because of what he has done, that we cannot regard people from a worldly point of view. Along with the news that we've heard and we've seen the worst over these last few weeks, but we've also seen amazing stories and beautiful stories of hope and unity that have emerged, and they are there. Unfortunately, the media, the way that things are portrayed, the stories that are told is so often the negative things really are pervasive. But there are stories of beauty and hope, but it's not enough. We have a long way to go. We have a long way as the church to go. We shouldn't be having this conversation again, but we are, and we need to take note. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. They matter to God, and they must matter to you and me as well. Why? For Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love compels us. Because Jesus compels us to love one another with no distinction, with no separation. See, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. Jesus here, rather Paul, makes two distinctions, two points. He says this first, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. See, we have been reconciled to Christ. God gave. God gave. Jesus came to us. We were enemies of God, yet he came to us. We were separated because of sin, but Jesus came to us. He came and he lived and he served and he had relationship with and connected with people. And then he died a brutal death on the cross so that we could be reconciled. And then he rose again on the third day, securing the victory once and for all, that we would be friends of God, that we would be children of God. He did the work that allows us to be united to God. Healing and wholeness starts here. It starts when we recognize that we have been reconciled to God. We were God's enemies, but now we are his children. We were on the outside. We were the outcasts, but now we are welcome. In fact, we are welcome to come boldly to the throne of grace. Jesus sets the example for us in that we we didn't have to go to him. He came to us. He came to us, and in his life, he displayed, he showed as he lived, as he walked amongst people, that he went to the least of these, that he went to the people that were on the fringe. He went to the people that were the outcasts. He went to the people that were marginalized. He loved them, and he sets that example. But you and I have been reconciled to God through Christ Jesus. It starts there to remember that we all 
are welcome at the foot of the cross. But then Paul goes on and he says this, that we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. It's not that Jesus reconciled only reconciled us, but he has now given us this ministry of reconciliation. See, we are called to be the physical representation of the presence of God here on earth, but it's not just for show. It's not just so that we could have bragging rights. We are sent by God to be a prophetic witness of his love and of his unity and of his kingdom and of another way of living. We are sent by him to share this message of reconciliation. First, that people would be reconciled to God, but then also that we would be reconciled to one another. He says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are sent with his authority. We are sent with his spirit. We are sent with his presence to go to the world, to move out of the comfort of, of our own lives, our own situations, our own churches, and go to the world with this ministry of reconciliation. Something about ambassadors is they don't stay in their home or even their own home nation. U.S. ambassadors, for example, will leave this nation and go to another nation. They will venture out into places that are not familiar and not comfortable. Church, it is time for us to be seeking out comfort that God has not called us to be comfortable. He has called us to be world changers, to be transformers of the culture, which means that we have to step out of our comfort zone. Over these last two weeks, in my own soul, my own spirit, my own thinking, I have been uncomfortable. I have been uncomfortable as the Lord has challenged my own issues, my own presuppositions, my own uh, my own assumptions about the world around me and about people as I have endeavored to take a posture of learning and listening. I am being confronted first by the Lord, but then by voices in the culture and voices around me and people that I trust to, to look at my own heart and understand where I may be missing the mark. It's not comfortable but God doesn't call us to a life of comfort. He stretches us, he pushes us, and he releases us in his authority to bring the message of reconciliation to the world. Again, in Jesus' own example, he shows us, he, he goes to the Samaritan woman and he has a conversation with her and he brings life and salvation to this woman who is not just an outcast, she's not just the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews and the Samaritans rather, never cross paths. They would, they would never engage in public, in conversation. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews. And here's this woman who's not only despised but because she's a Samaritan, she's despised even in her own community. Yet Jesus goes to her meets her, has a conversation with her, and brings the gospel of hope and life to her. And the disciples come back and 
and see him even talking to her, they're confused. Why why are you talking to this woman? But Jesus was okay with going beyond the comfort zone and the confines even of his own worldview, his own culture, his own customs. Jesus spent time with the tax collectors. He shares the the story of the, the good Samaritan. He went to those that his own community, his own nation, his own people deemed unworthy. Jesus went to them. He selected to be his disciples, not the cream of the crop, not the elite, not the educated. He went to ordinary people. And he makes a statement with his life, with the way that he lived his life out in view of everyone. Not to be comfortable to go and bring the message of reconciliation to everybody. See, we're to be reconciled to God, and out of that we can then be reconciled one to another. There is no division in the body of Christ. There is no division in the body of Christ. The whole idea behind the the body of Christ, the church, being a body is just that. We have to be one. It is not an option for us to be divided. Jesus, in fact, addresses this very thing when he speaks about the way in which they worship. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, he says this, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus makes a bold statement here about our worship. What he's saying is this, how can you worship God How can you praise him when there is no reconciliation? Church, this is an opportunity for us as we would respond to Jesus here. We we could get defensive and go, well, that's not me. But we have to stop and we have to allow the spirit of God to search us, to search us, to expose those places that are not fully surrendered to him. It's an opportunity to allow God to examine us, to reveal the places where we may harbor malice and prejudice and assumptions about others. It's an opportunity for us to ask him to change us and then take steps to be reconciled, not just to the Lord, but one to another. We're going to turn to communion. And as we prepare, I want to read 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 29. Paul again here writing to the same church in Corinth, again addressing issues of division in this church. He says this in verse 23 of chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat drink, eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So often when we come to communion, we read the first part of that passage. Those last few verses, though, are uncomfortable, but they are so clear. There's no wiggle, no wiggle room here for us. See, in light of Jesus's body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed, in light of what he did at the cross to reconcile us to himself, he says this, that we then need to receive these gifts in a worthy manner. What does that mean? It means that we can't receive the the bread of reconciliation and the cup of reconciliation and not be reconciled to our brothers and sisters. That we cannot worship God in this way and remember what he did for us without examining our hearts. Paul says that we need to eat and drink by discerning the body of Christ, that we would understand who God is. That's what he's saying. Who is God? We need to discern and understand what his body and what, and what his blood is all about. And then make sure that our lives align. That we would stop. In fact, we're going to do that right now. Before we break the bread and before we drink the cup, would you pause for just a second? And would you ask the Lord to search your heart? To reveal anything that would not be in line with the sacrifice that he made for all mankind. Let's do that. Jesus, I thank you for your body that was broken for us. That you were whole and you allowed yourself to be torn apart so that we may find healing, that we would be healed in every part of our lives, not just physically, but relationally as well. God, that you would bring wholeness to our relationships. That you would bring wholeness, Lord, one to another because of the body that was broken on our behalf. God, we thank you that we are reconciled, that we are made whole because you were broken 
We thank you for the sacrifice and the, pay, the price you paid on our behalf. We receive, Lord. We receive this bread with thanks in our hearts for what you have done. Let's receive the bread together. The blood, the cup, it's a symbol of an, a, a seal, a covenant that has been established between God and man. It is, the, it is the seal, it is the reminder of the reconciling work that God has done for us. That we are saved once and for all. That Jesus died for all and through his shed blood through the the sacrifice through the the price that he paid that he opened the door to relationship to wholeness to sonship with his father he sealed it in his own blood not only that the bible tells us that the shedding of blood the shedding of his blood would cover our sin that it would cover the wrongdoing the mistakes that we've made but we need to come back to him. Part of the reason we receive the cup over and over again is we need to be reminded. And we again need to invite him to search our hearts, to forgive our sins, to repent. That we would repent of our ways, that we would repent of our sin, that we would repent of our brokenness before him and allow him to bring the wholeness, the forgiveness the restoration. Jesus, we thank you for the cup that was shed, your blood that was shed on our behalf. That we are forgiven, that we are made whole, that we are now a part of your kingdom. But Lord, I pray that as we receive this cup, that we would be reminded that it is not just for us, but it is for us to then go as your ambassadors, to be compelled with your love to reach those beyond ourselves. We receive this cup today with thankful hearts for what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, let's receive the cup. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I want to invite you this week in your times with the Lord as you seek his face to do the things that we've talked about today. Would you take even time today to quiet your heart before him? Would you hear from him? Would you learn from him and learn from his word? But then would you also pay attention, listen to the voices in our community, listen to the voices in the black community that are wanting to be heard. We need to do a better job listening. We need to do a better job acting. We need to be do a better job of being reconcilers for the kingdom of God. And it starts with you and me as we walk that out. I will be praying for you this week. I ask that you be praying for me as well. Let's pray for our nation. 
Let's pray for God's healing to come upon us. Be blessed as you go today. I want to encourage you, invite someone to join you for service next Sunday. We look forward to seeing you then.